Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. We're going to continue this morning with a series we've been on. This will be the fourth week. Title of the series is Parenting by the Book, meaning this book right here. Parenting, thanks, Cal. Parenting by the Book. So, we've been talking about some general principles of parenting, great needs in the life of a child, how we as parents can provide that under the direction of the Lord. We'll continue that today. But I want to begin by talking for a moment to single parents, single moms, single dads, maybe grandparents that are raising children. And I want to frame this by looking at a a verse in Timothy that Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 5. Let me just set it up with this. Who is Paul? Paul is arguably the most influential Christian of history. Prolific author of Scripture. And Timothy is the one that he is training up to follow in his footsteps, pretty significant uh, place. Paul's the prolific church planter and giving Timothy charge of leadership there. But listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. There's a powerful truth here for single parents, single moms. See, the women in Timothy's life exerted profound impact over his life. Paul identifies that. And what Paul spotlights is the faith of Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother. I'm just going to point out a few things that he says about that faith. First of all, that it was a recognizable faith. He says, I am reminded. You see, Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother had a faith that stood out. Faith that was noticed. And what type of faith is it that stands out? Secondly, it's a real faith. Paul says that it was sincere and that it first dwelt in your grandmother and in your mother. It was a sincere faith that dwelt there, that was grounded there, that remained there, that sustained them through the ins and outs of life, the ups and downs, the pressures and the trials. It was a real faith. It wasn't a facade. It was the standout characteristic of their life. See, with children, more is caught than is taught. 
And what children need to see is they need to see a sincere, genuine faith that is living, that dwells in their mother or their father. And what Paul is saying is that kind of a faith, that recognizable real faith dwelt in Timothy's grandmother and then his mother. And the result of that, number three, is that it became a reproducing faith. He said, faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. The implication Paul is making is clear here. It was the impact of grandmother and mother that positioned Timothy to have the same type of faith that they had. It's a powerful testimony for you single parents, single moms, that you can have that kind of impact in the life of your child. One that is reproduced and used mightily by God. What would you do, say as a single mom? You know, I talked uh, two weeks ago emphasize the need of the relational component in a child's life and how needed a father and a mother are, and that is absolutely true. But if you find yourself in the position where there is not a father in the home, what can you do? Let me just give you a few things that you can do. You can talk to your son or your daughter and do so continually regarding the covenant of marriage. Information is here. And God wants that communicated and will use you to communicate the truth about that covenant. Number two, study what the Scripture says about the responsibilities of the husband and the wife in the home and teach that to your son and your daughter. Number three, Do this, identify married couples around you whose life is a living testimony of the truth that Scripture advocates and use those lives as examples to point your son or your daughter to. And number four, here's a way that you can really utilize that to the best ability. Get involved in a life group. Get engaged in a life group in which you live life together with other families, a smaller unit than the large church here, a small church that meets regularly together and interacts with one another, grows in relationship to one another, so, and be faithful to that so that your children can see that model lived out before them. And then number five, Pray consistently, diligently, passionately, desperately for your children. Pray that God would prepare them for a spouse, if that is His will, and a spouse for them. And then do this. Trust what Psalm 68.5 says. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation.
That's one verse. But Scripture says that repeatedly. God is the father to the fatherless. Trust that God is going to do his part. You do all that you know to do, but rely completely and totally upon God, taking them to the truth and praying desperately for them. And God will do what you can't. So let's just continue now. I'm going to use a passage in Ephesians chapter 6. I'll start with a verse in Ephesians 6 that's pretty similar to Colossians 3.20 that we spent some time working around the last couple of weeks. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's very similar to Colossians 3.20. But the last part of the verse goes into more detail. It says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I certainly believe that we apply that both to fathers and if you find yourself in a place where you're a single parent or single mother, you apply it to yourself. You're to bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So what Paul does here is he If I could break this down and make it understandable, he gives them one thing to do and two ways to do it. Here's the one thing to do. Bring them up. That's the charge. Bring them up. Bring your children up. The Greek word here means to straighten out. Here's what it implies. Just that idea of straightening out. It implies that something is already there And what you do is to make it as it should be. To straighten it out. It's the same word that's used for nurture in another place in Ephesians. You see, it is not enough to just nurture in the physical, but our children need the nurturing in the emotional, in the relational, primarily in the spiritual. Because the admonition is to bring them up, the end of the verse, in the Lord. So the emphasis here is on the spiritual component of life. And what we're called to do as parents is to bring up our children in the Lord. To straighten them out. That's one thing to do. To make of them what God intends of them. What He has already put in them to fashion and shape it under the leadership of the Spirit of God to become all that God wants it to be. That's the one thing to do. Here's the two ways to do it. Number one, in the discipline. In the discipline. The word here means training by discipline. And it has this idea. It has got an emphasis on or an accent on the correction of the young. Like things there that shouldn't be there, extract them. Work them out of their life. Be another way of saying what Proverbs 22.15 says, 
Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Children need discipline. They need correction. They need reproof. Just like, folks, you and I still need it. God's still doing that with us. You're breathing. He's still doing that with you. And our children need that from us. They need discipline. Because foolishness is there and what, it needs to, what needs to happen to it is it needs to be extracted through that correction and reproof and then wisdom put in its place. But discipline obviously must be done. It must be done in love. It must be done with justice and fairness. It must be done consistently. If you're not consistent in it, you send a very conflicting message to your child that confuses and frustrates. They need to know where the line is and that line needs to stay there. If the line is here today and over there tomorrow and then back here the next day, that doesn't help them. That confuses and frustrates them. And discipline needs to be done humbly. Humbly remembering that we are still under and in need of the discipline of the Lord. We're stewards discharging a trust that God through us is disciplining our children and is disciplining us as well. So the first way is through the discipline. Secondly is through instruction, Paul says. That we are to bring our children up in the discipline and in the instruction. The word used here in the Greek is primarily emphasizing verbal instruction. Here is where wisdom is put in as the foolishness is extracted. And what is the source of the wisdom? Where do we get the wisdom so that we can instruct and put in what needs to be there? We get it in the Word of God because we're to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And where is the instruction of the Lord? It's in the Word of God. This book is about the Lord right here. And so what our children desperately need from us is they need instruction. They need to be taught the truth of the Word of God. Second Timothy 3.14-17 through 17. How helpful, how critical is the Word of God. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 here. But as for you, Paul writing to Timothy, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, it's the Word of God, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see how essential the Word of God is to the instruction? Paul identified in Timothy initially that it came from his grandmother and his mother and then he comes back to it here and he says you learned that from childhood and what the truth of the scriptures did for you from childhood is that it made you wise unto salvation. And then Paul continues and says the word of God doesn't just make you wise unto salvation it teaches you how to live. You see you could take those four things in verse 16 profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness as a comprehensive picture of what the Word of God does for life. Watch this. Here's what it does. Number one, it's profitable for teaching. What the Word of God does is it teaches you the path on which you are to walk for life. Secondly, for reproof, what the Word of God also does is that when... You get off, it teaches you where you have stepped off that path, where you have gone astray. Number three, for correction. The third thing it does is it teaches you how to get back onto the path that God wants you to live. And fourthly, for training in righteousness, it teaches you to stay on that path for the rest of your life. Comprehensive statement about the power and the ability of the Word of God to give what is needed for life. Now I'm just going to take all that I have just said and have said in the past two weeks and I'm going to put that into a word that I want to unpack for the rest of the message here. Possibly next if I don't complete it here this morning. The command of God to parents here responsibility that He has given us, I believe could be stated like this. One way to state it is that what we're to be developing in the lives of our children is a biblical worldview. That is a comprehensive statement. What is a worldview? A worldview is the sum total of what we believe about the most important issues of life. Our worldview is quite simply what we believe, why we believe it, and how it impacts our day-to-day life. A child's worldview and ours is the way that we understand and approach life. All of life. It impacts how we relate to and treat or how your children relate to and treat you and others. How they approach responsibility, how they make choices, how they draw conclusions, how they form the philosophies that guide their life. That's all encompassed in the idea of worldview. A person's worldview is all pervasive. And everyone has one. And it impacts every decision every day. 
And here is what we need to understand. Not we need to fear, but we need to understand this for ourselves, but also in our responsibility for our children. There is a relentless, ongoing attempt by the world to bring into, to put upon, to find root in and develop within the lives of your child a worldview that is radically counter to the biblical worldview. That is happening all the time, every day. You need to understand that as parents. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Let me just bring out two points in that verse. Two things that this verse is teaching. Number one, the world's philosophy is aggressively seeking to take people captive. That is happening all the time, every day. It's happening to you. It's happening to your children. It is seeking to take captive the hearts and the minds of men and women, boys and girls, relentlessly so. And secondly, that the philosophy of the world or the philosophies of the world, they are in direct opposition to Jesus Christ. They're not neutral. They are antagonistic. You need to understand that. It's what Paul is writing here 2,000 years ago and it hasn't gotten any better since that day. He says that those empty philosophies, deceitful philosophies are not according to Christ. That means they are counter to, they're in opposition against. Let me just identify what some of those philosophies look like. Number one, materialism. There's a truth claim to materialism and it says this, there is no God. There is no God. That there is no intelligent author of life, there is no designer of humanity, there's no purpose for our existence. That philosophy is being fed to your children on a regular basis through a variety of ways. I could tell you a story just from, not plans, not scripted, this just happened this week, uh, last week, asking my son, he mentioned to me what one of his teachers said in class, in his philosophy class at school. And I can tell you, it was a philosophy of empty deceit, of deception, that was absolutely in opposition, antagonistic to Christ, overtly antagonistic to Christ. What was it? (laughs) It was that Christianity is a cult. 
direct statement, Christianity started as a cult. That's what it is. And put it alongside of the wacko from Waco and the other things that in the past many years have been in the news. So we just had to have a little discussion. Obviously, he knew the truth. But you see, if our kids are hearing that stuff by those that are in authority over them and they don't come home and hear the truth that defeats the lie and they continue to hear the lie and they never hear from those that God has given to them to teach them the truth, that which defeats the lie and establishes a biblical worldview, how are they going to grab that on their own? They've been given to us so we steward their lives. You know, in a very real sense, I'm not trying to elevate parenthood, but in a very real sense, parents stand in the position of God to their kids. Parents are lawgiver to their kids, provider to their kids, trainer to their kids, just like God is for us. You know, the obvious thing that you have to be aware is you've got to know what your kids are hearing. Right? You've got to stay engaged and aware so that you can speak the truth when the lie is leveled. But I wouldn't just say, wait until you hear a lie. No, there should be a daily diet of truth. Continual setting of the table of truth before them, just like you feed them physically to be feeding them by the truth of God's Word. Here's another philosophy. Maybe this is the central philosophy, the pervasive one in our culture, and it is humanism. Humanism says, I am God, or all roads lead to God, or God is everything. You see, the focus of humanism is on who? It's on human. It's on us. Humanism says we're basically good. What we really need is information. That'll bring us to a solution to the evils of the world. Humanism wants to lead us to information, not forgiveness, not repentance, It wants to teach us that we can do it ourselves. Is that in direct opposition to the truth of Jesus Christ? The truth of Jesus Christ is we need a Savior. We are hopeless and we need a Savior. But our world is feeding the humanistic philosophy continually, aggressively, relentlessly. Another aspect of our culture that our kids are that there's an aggressive attempt to indoctrinate them on and that is postmodernism postmodernism says there is no truth or said it another way you decide your truth you see the essence of it is this there is absolutely no absolute truth There is absolutely no absolute truth.
Postmodernism has replaced I know with I feel. Principles have been replaced with preferences. I mean, if you just think about that, you know as you process that, you hear that all the time in our world. You hear that all the time in a variety of ways, through a variety of venues. The biblical worldview, the worldview of Christianity, the truth claim is this. Jesus is the truth, and here is his book right here. That's it. Jesus is the truth, and this is his book. This is his story. This is his word to his creation for his purposes, for his glory. That's the truth of Christianity. That's where a biblical worldview has got to be built upon and what our children so desperately need, whether you're a family with a father and a mother or a family with just a mother or just a father or grandparents, what the children need is they need a biblical worldview that is founded upon and developed through and continually built by the truth of the Word of God. Well, that's about half of what I wanted to say this morning. So what I'm going to do is we're going to, we're going to pick up the rest of this next week. But as we, as we close here, I'm going to ask you to stand. I just want to pray for you and encourage you as parents, maybe just let me just be transparent here for a minute. As I've been preaching last three weeks on this subject matter, some of this is the enemy, and I think some of it is the conviction of the Spirit. I'm just really seen a lot of ways that I have fallen short as a parent to do the very things that I am instructing you from the Word of God. Now that doesn't, that doesn't make them less true. They're in the Word of God. That transcends me. And I'm a broken vessel and through my brokenness I'm just trying to accurately communicate truth. But I also want to say this because the Spirit of God has said it to me and I believe He wants it said to you that you can start from this point forward and make an incredible difference in the life of your children and those you influence, even if they're grown. You still have, if you're breathing, you still have an opportunity. God is the redeemer of time and the redeemer of circumstances. And so, make a commitment. Make a commitment To under the leadership of the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, teach your children a biblical worldview that'll impact every aspect of their life for the rest of their life. See, if that's the program God is about, and there's no question in my mind that's what He's about, you're working with the omnipotent God. You're partnering with the omnipotent God. Who can defeat that? Let's pray. Father, 
Lord, it's good to call you Father on the heels of this kind of teaching. It's to know that we have a Father who is in the theological term who is pure omnificence, all goodness. A God and Father who will never leave or forsake us. The God who began a good work in us and has stated explicitly in Scripture that having begun that good work, He will carry it on all the way to completion. That just emphasizes our absolute dependency upon you while at the same time not abdicating our own responsibility because we are to work out what you're working in. We're to participate with you as you are leading us. And so I'm asking that you would help me as a as a father who needs your help. And these brothers and sisters that I'm before that need your help, help us to discharge the trust, to steward the responsibility in a way that would honor you. us to do that God empower us toward that end remind us of these truths make us aware of the ways in which the world is seeking to squeeze our children into its mold help us to have insight from above and know how to apply the truth and the main the main issue there is just get at it be doing it consistently in your word, through your word, and in prayer. Just to be committed to those things for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.